Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 357. Less than two weeks to go in the year. Today's big Bible question, how do we know if we really are disciples of Jesus? So happy Friday, friends. Another short episode today, as this one is being also written and recorded on the 16th, which is my anniversary, and my dear wife and I are about to head off 20 minutes down the road to a nice and safe bed and breakfast to celebrate 25 years of marriage. Today, we are reading 2 Chronicles 21, Zechariah 5, John 8, and Revelation chapter 9. And our focus is in John 8, although I could say the the creatures of the abyss described in Revelation 9 are really quite fascinating. Uh, Some translations call them locusts. They're obviously the strangest things in the Bible or very close to it. Um, They have golden crowns on their heads, human faces, hair like women's hair. Their teeth was like lion's teeth, chests like iron breastplates. The sound of their wings was like the sound of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. And they had tails with stingers like scorpions. So they had power to harm people for five months, and they had as their king the angel of the abyss, whose name is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. So what in the world is that all about? And the answer is, I have no idea, but man, that's a fascinating passage, but not focusing on that. Focusing on John 8, and our question is a simple, profound one. How do we know we are disciples of Jesus? Now, if you recall John 6, this is a really important question. In that chapter, Jesus taught the Jews and his disciples that he was the bread of life, if you will recall. This was episode 355. And the only way that anybody would have eternal life was by eating this true bread of life. So Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, and you're not going to have eternal life unless you eat the bread of life. And uh, Jesus taught that truth in such a graphic and powerful way that many of his disciples abandoned him and no longer followed him. They had made a decision to literally follow Jesus, like as in walking around and following him. They did so for some time, paying a price to literally follow him and listen to him. That went beyond merely going to church a few times a month, and some of them probably even left jobs and maybe even families to follow him for a time. But when the rubber met the road, and they began to understand who Jesus was, what he was teaching, and what he was claiming about himself, they noped out and left, abandoning him and abandoning salvation in the process. As a pastor, I've seen many, many people walk the aisles and, quote, decide to follow Jesus, as the old song goes. I have seen some of them get baptized and even join the church. And then, at some point, some of that group, they just kind of vanish. Now, some of them go to other churches and continue to pursue God, which is great. Some of them leave for a time and then return, which is also good. But many just kind of follow Jesus for a while and then turn back, like the John 6, 66 former disciples. I don't mean to imply here that abandoning a particular church indicates abandoning God, but the people I am thinking of not only stopped going to church, they stopped following Jesus, which is the key thing there. Now, the implications of this is that Jesus doesn't tell us that we are truly his disciples if we have walked the aisle at church or made a one-time decision to follow him or become a member of a church or even if we asked him into our heart. How does Jesus say we will know we are his disciples? So that's the focus of John 8 today. So let's read the passage and find out. John chapter 8 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. 
Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, so what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the women, woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin any more. I'm going to pause here just for a moment and say, uh, if you have a modern Bible, it will put that passage in brackets and say that it wasn't in the earliest texts of John, which is true, but I believe that that is an original part of Scripture And I think the longest or second longest episode of the Bible Reading Podcast was on that topic. So if you want to know about the story of the woman caught in adultery and whether or not it was was real, then all you got to do is come to our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com. And I think if you just search for adultery, it will bring up that episode or the woman caught in adultery. Back to the word. Verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, My testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true because it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Then they asked him, Where is your father? You know neither me nor my father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you would also know my father. He spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple, but no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Then he said to them again, I am going away. You will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said again, he won't kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. You are from below, he told them. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Who are you? They questioned. Exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning, Jesus told them. I have many things to say and to judge about you, but the one who sent me is true, and what I have heard from him, these things I tell the world. They did not know he was speaking to them about the Father, so Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what pleases him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? 
Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the father, so then... You do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you're trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. Uh, We weren't born out of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature, because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. The Jews responded to him, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews said, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you claim to be? If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, My glory is nothing. My father, about whom you say he is our God, he is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then Jesus replied, You aren't fifty years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. Hmm. Wow. So our focus verses, verses 30 and 31, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And this passage reminds me of two very important biblical truths. Number one, believing a set of biblical facts or truths about Jesus does not mean We are disciples of Jesus. James 2.19 tells us this where he says, You believe that God is one good, even the demons believe and they shudder. You might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You might believe he was born of a virgin. You might believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead. All of these things are true. And as James points out, the demons believe all of these things too because they presumably saw them. But... Believing a fact does not make you a follower or a disciple of Jesus. The demons, for instance, are not saved. Truth number two, it reminds me of, there is a type of temporary belief which Jesus describes very clearly in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the seed. Uh, He describes this as the seed that sprouts up quickly and then is choked out and dies. There's a type of temporary belief that does not save and does not make you a disciple of Jesus. 
The disciples of Jesus in John 6 believed in him for a time, and then they didn't. They abandoned him. Paul addresses this dynamic in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So notice the similarity of what Paul and Jesus both say. If you hold to my truth, you are really my disciples, says Jesus. If you hold to the gospel message about Jesus, you are really saved and being saved, says Paul. If you let it go, you believed in vain. So what does this mean? That we, Does it mean we can't know we are Christians? No, of course it doesn't mean that. Jesus preserves everyone who truly in faith comes to him. As we also saw in John 6, he will never cast out or push away a true believer. He will preserve them by his strength and power, not our own. We know we are truly disciples of Christ if we continue in the word of Jesus and continue holding to the gospel message that Jesus died for sinners, rose to life, and promises eternal life to all who look to him in faith, believing and continue looking to him. A true disciple of Jesus that is saved and transformed and washed in the blood of Jesus will have his word dwelling in them. They will hold to the teachings of Jesus and the good news about his life, death, resurrection, return, and reign, and they will persevere in that, continuing to hold in those teachings. John eight thirty seven. Jesus challenges these Jews. I know you're descendants of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. Well, friends, May the word of Jesus have a continuing place in us. I want to close with some great words from Pastor Tim Keller on this passage. He says, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are taught in this verse that holding to the truth means obedience is a matter of discipline. It's sticking with it. Hold to the truth. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Always see that. Always see that. God never jumps and says, Obey and everything will be fine. He says obey in order to become a certain kind of person. You see, good behavior doesn't make you a Christian any more than barking makes you a dog. If you want to be a dog, you need the DNA. You need the nature implanted. In the same way, what we're talking about here is God saying, it's not obedience that makes you a Christian. Obedience is a way of seeing that you're really my disciple. That means the new birth. That means receiving Jesus. That means you must keep in mind the whole purpose of the Christian walk is to be transformed into a certain kind of person. The freedom only comes from being that kind of person and developing that kind of character. Finally, then, the truth will set you free. In John fourteen twenty three, Jesus says, If you obey my words, my Father and I will come to you and we will manifest ourselves to you. Christian friends, if God isn't real to you right now, somehow, in some way, you need to go back and say, where am I not holding to his word? If I hold to his word, obedience is what brings reality. Psalms 1 says the mark of the godly man is not that he prays day and night. It's not that he witnesses on the street corner day and night. What does it say he does day and night in Psalms 1? It says he meditates on the law of God and he delights in it. He delights in the law of God and he meditates it on it day and night. The mark of a godly man, says Keller, is that he is someone who loves to have God tell him what to do. He loves to have God's word examine his life. Do you like that? If you don't, that will tell you something about the state of your soul because you see freedom, perfect freedom, comes from his service. 
Jesus Christ says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're being crushed today, it's because you have some other yoke, some other burden on. The only yoke that will not crush you is to put an absolute, put on absolute unconditional obedience, making Jesus supreme in your life, no other Lord. Then and only then will you be free. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Friends, may we walk in that freedom. We continue in Second Chronicles 21 verse 1. Jehoshaphat rested with his ancestors and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. His son Jehoram became king in his place. He had brothers, sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michael, and Shephatiah. All of these were the sons of King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Their father had given them many gifts of silver, gold, and valuable things, along with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. When Jehoram had established himself over his father's kingdom, he strengthened his position by killing with the sword all of his brothers as well as some of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done, for Ahab's daughter was his wife. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. But for the sake of the covenant the Lord had made with David, he was unwilling to destroy the house of David, since the Lord had promised to give a lamp to David and to his sons forever. During Jehoram's reign, Edom rebelled against Judah's control and appointed their own king. So Jehoram crossed into Edom with his commanders and all his chariots. Then at night he set out to attack the Edomites who had surrounded him and the chariot commanders. And now Edom is still in rebellion against Judah's control today. Libna also rebelled at that time against his control because he had abandoned the Lord, the God of his ancestors. Jehoram also built high places in the hills of Judah, and he caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to prostitute themselves, and he led Judah astray. Then a letter came to Jehoram from the prophet Elijah, saying, This is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David, says, Because you have not walked in the ways of your father Jehoshaphat, or in the ways of King Asa of Judah, but have walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, have caused Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to prostitute themselves like the house of Ahab prostituted itself, and have also killed your brothers, your father's family, who are better than you. The Lord is now about to strike your people, your sons, your wives, and all your possessions with a horrible affliction. You yourself will be struck with many illnesses, including a disease of the intestines, until your intestines come out day after day because of the disease." And the Lord aroused the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabs who lived near the Cushites to attack Jehoram. So they went to war against Judah and invaded it. They carried off all the possessions found in the king's palace and also his sons and wives. Not a son was left to him except Jehoiahaz, his youngest son. After all these things, the Lord afflicted him in his intestines with an incurable disease. This continued day after day until two full years passed. Then his intestines came out because of his disease, and he died from severe illnesses. But his people did not hold a fire in his honor like the fire in honor of his predecessors. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He died to no one's regret and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Wow. Amen. Zechariah 5 verse 1, I looked up again and saw a flying scroll. What do you see? He asked me. I see a flying scroll, I replied, 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. 
Then he said to me, This is the curse that is going out over the whole land, for everyone who is a thief, contrary to what is written on one side, has gone unpunished, and everyone who swears falsely, contrary to what is written on the other side, has gone unpunished. I will send it out. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies, and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It will stay inside his house and destroy it along with its timbers and stones. Then the angel who was speaking with me came forward and told me, Look up and see what that is that it's approaching. So I asked, What is it? He responded, It's a measuring basket that's approaching, and he continued, This is their iniquity in all the land. Then a lead cover was lifted, and there was a woman sitting inside the basket. This is wickedness, he said. He shoved her down into the basket and pushed the lead weight over its opening. Then I looked up and saw two women approaching with the wind in their wings. Their wings were like those of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and sky. So I asked the angel who was speaking with me, Where are they taking the basket? To build a shrine for it in the land of Shinar, he told me. When that is ready, the basket will be placed there on its pedestal. Revelation chapter 9 Verse 1. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. The key for the shaft to the abyss was given to him. He opened the shaft to the abyss, and smoke came out of the shaft, like smoke from a great furnace, so that the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from the shaft. Then locusts came out of the smoke onto the earth, and power was given to them like the power that scorpions have on earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only these, those people who do not have God's seal on their foreheads. They were not permitted to kill them, but were to torment them for five months. Their torment is like the torment caused by a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. The appearance of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. Something like golden crowns was on their heads. Their faces were like human faces. They had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had chests like iron breastplates. The sound of their wings was like the sound of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. And they had tails with stingers like scorpions, so that with their tails they had the power to harm people for five months. They had as their king the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has the name Polyon. The first woe has passed. There are still two more woes to come after this. And the sixth angel blew his trumpet, then the four horns of the golden, from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. I heard a voice say to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who were prepared for the hour, day, month, and year, were released to kill a third of the human race. The number of mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. This is how I saw the horses and their riders in the vision. They had breastplates that were fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses were like heads of lions, and from their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of the human race was killed by these plagues, by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur that came from their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, because their tails, which resemble snakes, have heads that inflict injury. The rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands to stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Lord, have mercy. Well, friends, may he bless you today. May he show deep kindness to you. May you know his word and hold fast to it. And may your eyes be on Jesus. Good day to you and Godspeed.